Well, it's True Crime Tuesday again here on Failure to Stop. I'm joined with Kendra. She's our true crime person. Tonight's a story of a of an actual crime that occurred. We're going to break it all down on True Crime Tuesday. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Oh, God, it's up, giddy up, Wolfpack. It's failure to stop your favorite podcast. The first listen up today, right? You avoided all other podcasts just so you could listen to true crime. Failure to stop is the number one podcast and platform where we entertain and inform first responders and their friends, and we creep out and depress all of their friends and family as well. Kendra, how are you doing? Um, I don't feel well, so. Uh... I also am definitely <laughs> ill yet again. I don't know. Yes, you, this is going to be a great episode. It's going to be because uh, this show is about death and both Kendra and I are dangerously close to being dead. So uh, if, if we do it, if, if we do a true crime episode about the true crime podcasters who died under mysterious circumstances, you could play all this footage and it'll be great. Um, you know, <laughs> especially with like the right music and all that. But when they find out that we just died of illnesses, like it won't be as good. Um, it's not as entertaining. How, no. Uh, so how, how was your new year? Did we already talk about that in the last episode? Yeah. You spent it alone and, uh, by <laughs> choice and, uh, you thought about cutting off more of your thumbs to weird me out. Um, so we're done with it. We're done with new year's. Uh, thumbs. you got your birthday coming up. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to mention that. Folks, it's <laughs> birthday. It's okay. It's okay. I'll be 30 soon. So she has one every year. I don't know why it's a big deal. Yeah, and it's usually on the same day. So usually, if I don't remember what day it falls on this year, but folks, uh, you can reach out to to Kendra at uh, at uh, uh, how can they reach out to you? <laughs> this is going so well. I love this. Um, <laughs> by uh, Instagram, true crime underscore drama J R A M A. That is my yes. one and only Instagram for this. Yes, true crime thing. If, if- <laughs> If you see another Instagram out there, it's probably some sort of hacker account. So don't don't wish that person happy birthday. They don't deserve it. I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm not going to read your tarot. I'm not going to do any of those things. What what is that name there? Old Lob Lolly. Get up. Stop. That's, that's what they called me in high school. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, another inside joke that we're not going to tell any of the viewers oh. about. They're going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? Oh, I bet you guys wish you were as uh, good friends as me and Kendra are, but you'll never be let in. <laughs> uh, to, to honestly, to get to become this close of a friend to Kendra, you literally, you have to be her ex. So I'm like, I'm the only one that's going to be doing that. So uh, that's right. This is the only uh, the true crime podcast that's done uh, at the point of uh, a gun, you know, figuratively speaking, because Kendra and I are under court order to do this podcast every single week. Kendra is uh, getting more and more mad at me. Uh, hammer may be out because I mentioned her birthday. At least I remember it now. I never remembered it all those years. And now I'm finally like, figuring out all my problems. And now I know. I'm very impressed. Uh, yes. We're also a different true crime podcast because not only are we always prepared and execute very well every single episode, but Kendra is a former law enforcement officer. That's right. 
she once uh, conquered another man with her violence in the name of the law. And I am a 911 dispatcher, so like people will call me and report crimes to me, and I ask interesting questions and decide who should respond and why, and get descriptions of persons. And you know, I'm I'm also the one that you know will generally decide if someone's been missing in a suspicious circumstance, and if we need to have a cop go to that. You know, sometimes that happens, and sometimes that comes up in cases just like these. But before we get started, folks, I'm going to talk about our sponsors. That's right, we're brought to you by. Ghost bed. Folks, ghost bed is the best bed in the world. Kendra, talk about ghost bed. I'm just kidding. She doesn't want to talk about ghost bed. (laughs) I love ghost bed. Of course I want to talk about them. Like how they're made in the USA. 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 (laughs) She beat me to the punch, folks. She's been doing that for for years. (laughs) Folks, ghost bed (laughs) is a great company. They support failure to stop. So make sure you're going over there and supporting ghost bed. Because the money rolls around back to us if you like failure stuff. That's the best way to do that. But go over there, use the offer code Wolfpack on the website. You can get 40% off of everything you find there from their adjustable mattresses, their uh, their cooling technology, the stuff that's going to help you sleep, get all your mental healthness back <laughs> the way that it should be. Uh, we appreciate GhostBed for supporting us as always. 0% down, 0% financing. Even some shitty ex-Marine can probably go over there and get it. And I say that for a specific reason. Sorry if you just thought I was taking shots at the Marine Corps. <laughs> You're all very tough, and I'm all very afraid of you. And once a Marine, always a Marine, and hoorah and all that. Thank you to GhostBed for supporting military veterans. See how I seamlessly did that? We appreciate you, GhostBed. Also supporting us is Factor Meals, folks. You've heard me talk about Factor Meals. If you're still not eating Factor Meals at this point, like, I got a problem with you. Because Factor Meals make so much sense. Like, right now, our lives are so crazy. The weather's so cold. It's so dark. You're trying to pick up your kids from daycare you're trying to get home from your job you're trying to get enough sleep on your ghost bed before your next shift and it's so damned expensive to eat out it's pretty much just as damned expensive to go to the grocery store and get groceries why are you going to go into the grocery store where everyone there is your enemy they're competing with you for chubs of meat like just go home have your meal delivered there well that's what they're called chubs go home have your fresh factor meal delivered right to your house. You can get the meal, meals delivered every day or three times a week or whatever you want. They have 300 options on there, so you'll never get bored. Delicious meals that are good for you. They're going to be brought right to your house, reverse trick-or-treat style. They're sent to your house fresh, not frozen. You can keep them in the fridge till you're ready. Put them in the microwave for two minutes. you got a meal just like what mom used to make. You can take care of yourself. Go over there. Use the offer code WOLFPACK50. Get a delicious factor meal. Thank you to Factor as always for supporting us. Kendra. Let's talk some true crime. Okay. That is why we're here. Yeah. I, I have an idea. What about the okay. murder and the disappearance and murder of Aaron Corwin? That's a good one, right? Wow. That is a great one. Thank you for that flawless um, segue right into our story. This episode, Listen, more than I'm, many, I'm... makes it seem like we, we don't want to do this. And folks, it's just because we're sick. So we're happy to be yeah. here with you. Faulknerator, Michael Hendricks. <laughs> We're so glad to see you this week. Believe me. I get um, horrible brain fog and exhaustion when I'm sick. So just a disclaimer. (laughs) If I sound like a a bumbling idiot, it's because I kind of am one right now. So Yeah, and I'm not that much better when I'm You're still going to listen. Mm -hmm. You're still going to listen. It's all right. No choice. As you said, or... (laughs) Yes, you couldn't possibly just turn off whatever device you're listening to. Why would you even think that? You have to. I joke because I know that that's not going to happen. 
Um, so anyway, like you said, our story begins with a couple, Aaron and John Corwin. Aaron and John were high school sweethearts. They both hail from the great state of Tennessee and they fell in love and they got married very young, I think right out of high school, probably. John joins the Marines and he is sent out to 29 Palms, which is in California, in case you don't know that. Um, when they get out there, the year is uh, 2013. Okay, just setting the stage. This is kind of a newer case. Mm-hmm. Um, they get out there and they're getting comfortable. They're getting situated and they make a couple of really good couples, friends, other married couples um, in this apartment complex that they're living in. They're living on the base, so naturally they're socializing they with other people that are Marines. Yep. <laughs> yes, that's the only people they're socializing with at this point, I'm sure. Um, the couples, um, Christopher and Nicole Lee, and then another couple that's brought up in this case, I'm not sure why, but I'll just name them anyway. Um, the Malakies, M-A-L-A-K-I-E. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Malachi. It's an old Irish name. Malachi. Are you being serious? I'm just kind of putting you on defense. I can't I ever tell. <laughs> I know that you're really Irish, so I, I, th- I thought if I said that they were Irish, that that would really throw you for a loop because you're really into all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't look like a, I don't know, who knows. But there, there are a couple that are friends with these other two couples that I just mentioned. Um, so things are pretty normal. They these couples do everything together. The guys all work together. The girls become like really close friends. They're always at each other's uh, apartments, just hanging out, being good close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, naturally, of course, as time goes on, you know, Aaron and John, who, like I said earlier, are pretty young. They're nineteen. They start having a little bit of a, a relationship issues when it comes to money. Um, like most couples, you know, especially when you're young, and uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, with them being so young and being out on their own, um, depending on each other, I feel like it's kind of like, kind of when you go to college, like they're a little irresponsible. They're not really quite sure. Um, they don't have a lot of life experience. It's also but the they're... first time they've ever had money. So, of course, they're spending it because they, they don't understand the value of savings and budgeting at, at age 19, of course. So, I think. Um, yeah. John goes out and buys like uh, ATVs and things like that with his enlistment mm-hmm. bonus or whatever it is you get or whatever. So he's got a little money to throw around and he's throwing it around. Yeah. I was just going to say like, he's making a lot of money because when you live on base, like all of your stuff is paid for and, and you're young. So they don't have children at this point. Like their housing isn't, you know, expensive if it's not even free, but regardless, mm-hmm. yes, they're, they're arguing over money. Um, life stresses. And then unfortunately at one point, Aaron does have a miscarriage and this drove, this drove a wedge between them pretty hard as yeah. that normally does. Yeah. Know? It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you can't understand what a mom's going through and attempts to comfort that person, you know, uh, particularly when you have no life experience to show any empathy with, it's just a, you know, the, the thing is, is tragedies like that rarely drop people together. They usually drive people apart. And it's very common yeah. that, you know, miscarriages, but also the death of a children, 
a, a child that typically results in divorce. It doesn't, it doesn't unite two people. It drives them apart. You know, two people in yeah. grief particularly can't, they really can't help each other. And these are, these are basically kids. I'm really hesitant to call them kids because they are 19. And, you know, in our jobs, right. we, we really make a hard distinguishing line between what children are and what adults are because we have different expectations for them. But life experience wise, yeah, they're basically kids. Keep going. Yes. Um, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I don't really have much else to add to that because it's, I remember being 19, 20 years old. That's when I started law enforcement. And um, I'm a firm believer in a a much higher age, like cap. Like, I don't think anybody under the age of 24 should probably be a law enforcement officer just because of life experience. That's my own personal opinion. I don't think anyone under 24 should get married. I got married at age 20 and look how it turned out. So. <laughs> Uh, was not to me. I am your like fourth ex-wife, I think, right? You're not even my first ex-podcasting wife. I mean, the thing is that people don't understand about Kendra and me. They're like people are like, you guys get along pretty well for like two people that are divorced. Like, well, you got to understand how we got together. This is the story of me and Kendra, if I may. Kendra's father, Kendra's father owns a lot of property. And I wanted, I also own some property that was right next to his. And it was very important to me that I acquire his property so that I could demolish the houses that were there to build a hotel. And as part of making that deal in sort of a, you know, 16th century dowry tradition, I acquired his property and the legal right to, to ask for Kendra's hand in marriage. And so it was a monopoly deal pretty much. And I got my hotel and, uh, you know, things just, you know, it, it's very hard. It's very hard for, for anything that's based on like a Hasbro board game to last forever. So here we are. <laughs> uh-huh. That's, um, I'm too sick to try to play along with you. <laughs> Thank you. Back to Aaron and Josh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, they had, um, they had all of these life things coming at them pretty rapidly. Like they've only been out there for about a year at this point. And so they're trying to, they're trying to navigate marriage. They're trying to navigate life. He's trying to navigate being in the Marines. Um, and just all these crazy things are happening kind of all at once. They're across the, the country from their families. And it's very, it's very hard. Like you said, two people who are grieving can't take care of each other, but like I said, they had this little circle of friends and Aaron starts to kind of confide in Chris with all the things that are going on. I don't really know what drove her to choose Chris over like one of the girls, um, but maybe she felt like he could talk to John or maybe she felt like she could get some information um, from John through Chris. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I have no idea. Um, but sometimes as these things go, um, they, they developed a little bit of a, their own friendship between the two of them away from the group and they were hanging out together a lot more, just one-on-one and eventually it turned romantic and they started an affair with each other. One, um, one thing that's, uh, interesting about that and them being, being very, very young 
and Aaron already being married. One thing you don't understand when you're very young is uh, when you uh, make a, a choice to get married, you get swept away in romantic feelings and you don't understand that feelings don't last forever and that a marriage has to transcend the ebb and flow of, of loving feelings. And that it's really more about a commitment that keeps you in love rather than a love that keeps you in a commitment. But most of all, the, I think when what people don't understand when they're 19 is that every choice you make, every time you say yes, every time you say yes to something like, yes, I'll marry you, you're actually saying no to everyone else on earth. And when people say yes to something, they don't realize by choosing that option, how many options they've just turned away for themselves. So when mm -hmm. you're very young, you know, I don't think that you expect that you'll ever fall in love again. So when, you know, if she's starting to develop romantic feelings towards towards Chris, I think she doesn't really know how to handle it because, you know, she made this commitment to John and they got married, but she has no life experience to understand how emotions come and go and you know how something can be new and fresh and exciting, you know, in terms of a, an emotional affair or whatever, but she doesn't have any life experience to realize that, you know, what's most important is just staying in that relationship. This is just what happens when you're this young and you're already married. Yeah. Or even just wrapping her head maybe around the consequences of doing something like that, especially with someone in your friend circle. And I know that this is unfortunately a lot more common than um, people realize, or maybe people do realize because they've been there. Um, but especially in the military, yeah. In the military, yeah. <laughs> if you've and been in the military world, with cops too. or around the first responders, yeah, we're we're kind of unfortunately notorious for that. Very um i don't know what the phenomenon is with that i had somebody explain it to me once and i'm not i won't get into it here because it's too long-winded but it made sense but also like yeah it's just you get swept up in this and i don't know i don't think she at that age you don't fully understand the gravity of your choices like you said when you say yes to one thing like a lifelong commitment you are saying no to the possibility of pretty much anything else unless that relationship ends um, but they they got swept up in it and they started, I don't know exactly how long they were having this affair. I think they were having it for a while because they got pretty bold with it. Um, there was one account where Chris and Nicole came over, I believe they were at Aaron and John's, to watch a show that they were all kind of following along with. The Walking Dead, yeah. Was it The Walking Dead? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Aaron and Chris wound up in the bedroom doing their own thing and they were making out and they got caught, I think, by one of the other couple's wives. And to me, it's like, that's pretty, that's pretty brazen. If you're in, a, you, your spouses are literally right on the other side of that wall and you're having your affair and you get caught, it's just a little wild to me, but, um, it's cringy. It's a little cringy. Yeah. <laughs> well, another, another thing that happens is that naturally Nicole's, uh, suspicious of Aaron and Chris. So she goes through Chris's phone and she finds text messages that are way over the line. So she takes this information and she goes and tells John, Hey, uh, Chris and Aaron are having an affair. So cat's out of the bag. They're kind of like 
trying to figure out how they're going to mend this. John and Aaron and Chris and Nicole, they decide to stay together and work out their own issues in their marriages. Which is pretty mature. So, yes. Um, some time is going by, and according to John, he believes that Aaron has ended the affair and things are getting better and he's excited to get back on track and make things better for him and his wife. In late June of 2014, Aaron wakes him up and says, Hey, I'm going out for the day. Um, I'll see you when I get back. Love you. Bye. Totally normal day. John doesn't think anything of it. Um, but the day goes by and he doesn't hear from her and he's calling her. And she's not picking up the phone. The evening goes by. He still can't get in touch with her. And she just never comes back. So was, the next was, day. Wasn't she going to like scout out some vistas or something? Like she was planning on going on like a nature drive or hike with her mom or something? Like that was the plan, right? Like this had been well planned out that she was going to go do this thing. And it wasn't like yeah, a I spur of the she... moment thing. No, I was reading John's account, and this is how he explained it. Um, I do okay. think that there was something... Her birthday was coming up, so I think there was something going on with that where she was telling him that she was going to go do something, and then she left for that thing that day. It was planned. Um, but I'm not sure what it is because I, I didn't read that. Um, okay. But according yeah, according to John, it was a normal, everyday thing. So the next... He waits for 24 hours, and he calls law enforcement to report her missing. And he's not really sure, like, where she could be. Um, they, The law enforcement, obviously, they do interviews of um, neighbors, John. They talk to Chris and Nicole at some point. Um, and everybody's saying they don't know where she's at. They can't get in touch with her. They don't know where she could be, essentially. Okay. So, you know, this could be a missing person endangered where she's broken down in the desert. And maybe we need to start trying to find her with uh, search and rescue assets or, you know, if she's um, missing, you know, uh, I guess a question I would ask is why did you wait 24 hours? And I guess in John's account, he said, well, I just, I thought I had to wait 24 hours. Everything yeah. I see on TV and movies says you have to wait 24 hours, which is always something that bothers me on true crime podcasts. I'm not calling out any one podcast when I hear this, but um, the whole waiting 24 hours, you know, different agencies do have different policies about, how they'll react to something like that. But I mean, they'll usually still hear you out when you want to report something and they'll look at the totality of the circumstances. So if your wife is going to go out and drive out into the wilderness, uh, you, you know, you shouldn't wait 24 hours to report her missing. You know, uh, that's not, it's not necessarily a situation where there's any kind of criminal suspicion, but it does sound like a rescue situation if she's out in the desert. So why would you wait? Yeah, that is that is a common misconception with people, um, especially for adults, because you do hear that like on TV or and I don't know where that comes from. It might have been an old thing that just never really got flushed out. People don't think, realize they don't have to wait. Yeah, I think it could be something that was used on TV at some point to say like, oh, yeah, well, we're you know, the cops made a TV show that was going to paint the cops as unresponsive. It was like, well, you know, you need to wait 24 hours for this or whatever. And it was. A reason why the police wouldn't come in and just solve the episode and have the episode be over in 10 minutes, you know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, on the other hand, you know, we've talked about this, too, is that, you know, adults do have the right to just disappear. They do have the right to walk out of yeah. their lives and not tell anyone. And so, yeah, you know, there may there may be policies by some agencies that have that. But you should never presume if you if you are in a position where you suspect someone you love has been true crimed, 
don't wait. Just pick up the phone. The worst that you're going to hear from us is that you're going to have to wait 24 hours. Uh, but at least shoot your shot. See what you can do. But go on, go on ahead with the story. I've, yeah, I've never ever told somebody that they need to wait for 24 hours. I mean, obviously, if they've been gone for one hour and it's not suspicious, don't call immediately because they're adults, you know. But I've never. That's never been like a real thing where they taught you like don't take a report before 24 hours. So. Yeah. Yes. If, even, if your loved ones are missing under suspicious circumstances, please call immediately. Even if, like you said, they kind of blow you off initially because they are adults. At least you can yeah. get a timeline or something, you know. Well, there's also, but, you know, reporting an overdue motorist is something that is fairly common. Like if your grandma or somebody's like you're driving from out of state and mm -hmm. they said they were leaving at five and it was going to take them three hours to get there and they're not there, like, you know, if it's getting to be, you know, four or five hours, you know, uh, or you just you have a feeling like something's wrong, you can report an overdue motorist. You don't have to report it as a, you know, a missing person, you know. So right. again, that's that's like a search and rescue situation. So that would be my initial feeling if I was taking the report from John was so that she went out into the desert and broke broke down. In which case, we need to find her and get her some water. Yeah, because um, they're they're very close to uh, Joshua Tree, which is a national park in the desert, and um, I don't know. I know we have some listeners that are like from that area, maybe not Joshua tree, but out like in the West. But if you're not from there, you haven't been to the desert. Like it's very, very vast. It's huge. And even though it's like flat and sand, um, I feel like it's pretty easy to get turned around if you don't know where you are because everything looks the same. And, you know, the temps are very dangerous if you're not properly equipped. Yeah, so I can imagine if he knew she was go if he did know she was going out there, like you said, um, she'd plan something. Uh, that would be a little more dire situation, in my opinion, than she went to the grocery store and hasn't come home yet. So, who yeah. knows? Yeah, I, I've uh, I've taken trips out to the desert, and I, I mentioned this to, to you before the show, but like I went out to like Zion National Park, and we were trying to plan everything that we wanted to do. And uh, we started looking at it and, you know, you're looking at a map and you're trying to figure out the most efficient way to, to drive through it because we were going to drive, you know, what's the most efficient route. And we realized that if we wanted to do everything we wanted to do out in Zion, it would be impossible because the area that we wanted to go to was like the state of Delaware. And so <laughs> the area that they end up searching for Aaron in is vast, like it's the size of Rhode Island, which I know what you're thinking. Well, it's the smallest state. Yeah. But if you're looking for one person in Rhode Island. It's uh, basically impossible to find them. So yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. This this exactly. is the situation for them trying to find her out there in the desert. Yes. Um. So one of the a close friend of of Aaron's tells law enforcement that she was texting with Aaron the day before, or within the days before she went missing, that she was gonna go spoiler alert she was gonna go out to meet chris and he had something planned for her because they didn't in fact end their uh, affair and they they continued their affair and aaron um was telling this friend that she was pregnant and it was chris's baby oh so, my goodness well that changes the complexion in, of everything yes now we're in like a love triangle situation and it's kind of a little more suspicious now um she aaron told this friend that she was gonna go out there with chris so that he could 
gives her some sort of surprise. Like I said, her birthday was coming up and um, she said, quote, something special. And she believed that he was going to be proposing to her. She's already married. She's already married. Now she's pregnant with his baby. So she claims, I mean, I, we, we're not sure, but um, this is a little messed up. And I, I've listened to a podcast on this case like a long time ago before I even thought I would ever do my own podcast. Um, and there were a lot of people throughout the story that really had um, a hard time sympathizing with Aaron because of the like really shitty way that she was handling this whole thing. She was not handling it well. She was completely disregarding John and turning her back on her, on her marriage. Um, But at the same time, nobody deserves to have bad, horrible life threatening or life ending things happen to them simply because they are having an affair or they make a bad choice or they hurt your feelings. Um, So I don't, Right. And I do believe um, this is probably going to it's going to come back to bite me, but um, not every how I got to be careful the way I word this. It's kind of similar to with the um, Gypsy Rose case that we kind of we kind of touched on this. While, yes, um, Dee Dee was horribly murdered and there's no justifying that really. Sometimes in cases, victims do kind of put themselves in a situation. Very um, often. Where they've made bad choices and the result, unfortunately, is the end of their life at the hands of someone else. So I don't I don't like to completely discredit that because uh, she was making really bad choices and putting herself in positions that she shouldn't have been in. At the but same I don't time, think she deserves to be murdered. At the same time, she's been lured out to her, her death spoiler alert sure by someone she trusted and someone she expected to be getting an engagement proposal from or at least you know that chris would say well i'm gonna leave nicole why don't you leave john like why don't we why don't we uh, stop messing around and, and straighten our lives out be responsible and the relationships that we're having with other people and figure out a way to, to do this right and to you know take care of the baby and have the family that we want to mm-hmm. have you know it's it's possible that you know she has it in her mind that he's prepared to as hard as it is make make those decisions and be responsible for uh getting her pregnant i know that uh aaron was texting with one of her friends jesse or something and she was saying you know that we're going to go out and have this good time and there's going to be this big surprise you know who who wonders Mm -hmm. what it is and i guess there was some emojis thrown at her you know diamond ring heart question mark you know so she was totally expecting uh to go out and maybe uh, you know, yes, it's cringy to 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 be given a marriage proposal while she's married, but there, if if he's trying to figure it out, then that's the right thing to do, right? You know that they they should figure out how to make their lives work the way that they're going to. I mean, the kid's going to happen, so you need to figure out a way mm-hmm. to make your life work. And I think she was po- she was seeing that there was going to be a positive change. Yeah, and another just added little thing um, that I forgot to mention was that. Chris and Nicole had a daughter already together and Aaron would babysit that daughter a lot. So this is a very like tangled up, messed up situation. These people are very melded together in their lives and um, they were just making really bad choices. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. So after, <laughs> so after this information um, is relayed to the, to law enforcement, they, 
kind of have a little better idea of like, okay, well, she's she went to this place and that place. They've got like a more narrowed scope of, of search now. And they do end up finding Nicole's vehicle parked at a gate um, at the end of at the edge of the base. And at the vehicle, they see a set of footprints that leads to a set of tire tracks indicating that Nicole got out of the vehicle and then entered another vehicle and that vehicle took her and whoever else was in it out to where wherever she went. Um, the tire tracks did match uh, tires that were on a Jeep that was uh, registered to Chris. Um, this is not really, a, it's a clue, but how common is that tire? I mean, I don't know anything about the, the actual tire. Um, so yeah. they're still trying to gather some leads and figure out what the hell happened because everyone they've spoken to, they don't really know where she's at except for this friend who, who gave this information. Um, law enforcement takes takes this and they do more interviews uh, and they also execute sh- search warrants on Chris and Nicole's apartment and also John and Aaron's apartment. Doesn't really turn anything up. Um, so the search is still on. Uh, meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Chris and Nicole are moving in with one of their friends. Um, her name is Isabella Melgi. I might be mispronouncing that. M-E-L-G-I. And they're doing this because Chris is getting discharged from the Marines <laughs> and they have to move back home to Alaska. So this is like an interim place for them to go while he's getting discharged and getting his paperwork and all that stuff in order. Chris had some disciplinary issues, obviously. He was honorably discharged, um, but he would, one of the um, descriptions of his antics was that he would use firearms and rocket launchers as toys, which <laughs> is a young kid with heavy artillery. I, I don't know what they, uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I don't know much about his character. Obviously, he doesn't make good choices, um, but I think he was just it, causing general chaos over and over and not learning. And um, he would go out in the desert with his friends and go coyote hunting and like get drunk and shoot guns and do all this stuff. So just, you know, general chaos, nothing too crazy. Right. Um, A search warrant, another search warrant is conducted at this new place of residence that Chris and Nicole are at, at um, Isabella's house. While they're doing this, search warrant they find a potato launcher and chris is arrested for um possession of a weapon of mass destruction that's california, california you, so <laughs> yes but i thought that was funny that he got arrested for a potato launcher i just think that's that's hilarious being a florida gal that's i can't even wrap my head around that to be honest with you um <laughs> yeah in my state when you apply for a driver's license they give you a free pistol so it just shows you how different it is <laughs> Differences out there in California. Omaha steaks and a pistol. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I see you've been here. <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> so this uh this we kind of talk about like we have our podcast stupidest takes thing that we do on the show sometimes, and you were saying that you couldn't really find a podcast that really uh I really couldn't. Law enforcement. Yeah. Not only could I not find any, but I also couldn't look that hard. So both mm-hmm. of those things combined to me not finding one. What do you mean? Like there wasn't a lot of stuff on the case? Well, I just 
no no there's tons of them out there i just i didn't listen to the i didn't i didn't see uh that one show that uh i'm constantly ragging on i didn't see that they had uh, covered this one okay um, <laughs> the one i listened to was just like there was one where she said uh you know, and this is, uh, you know, advancing the case a little bit, but she's like, it must be so frustrating to be a police officer to know that someone's guilty of a crime and to be unable uh, to prove it in court. And she's like talking about how these homicide detectives who are out looking in the desert for Aaron, how the search would go on, you know, and, we, and they're out there looking for her. And these homicide detectives are sleeping in their cars. And she's just like, that's so amazing. So good job with them. And I'm just like, well, this doesn't make for good fodder for my show. <laughs> just make me like thankful that some people appreciate the police so like how refreshing most people don't they do not um take or even consider the perspective of a law enforcement officer or a homicide detective no or anyone that's working behind the scenes to make this shit happen like nobody no. really thinks about that and um i get it because it's such a fabric of society that it's like that type of work creates such a safe environment for you that you don't have to consider it. Right. But yeah. most, most people don't ever take it into consideration and um, it takes human power for these things to be solved and for people to be found and for justice to be had. And take, take it's incredibly, it takes, takes yes. hours put in. It's not like on TV where, you know, you're standing around wondering about things and then a background character hands you a report. Yeah, we just pulled the cell phone records. It says they're they're over in this neighborhood. And then, you know, dong, yeah. dong. And then the title card says you're in a different place and you're just there taking care of it. Like you you have to spend a lot of time yeah. just even putting the smallest pieces together and figuring out what they mean and, and whether or not they're helpful in a criminal case. Yeah. And especially with, with search and rescues like this, um, people are like, why haven't you found her? Why haven't you found her? Um, that was... I remember when the Gabby Petito thing happened and everybody was on law enforcement's ass because they couldn't find Brian Laundrie. And it's like, uh, excuse me, have you ever been to Florida? Have you ever been in the wetlands? Have you ever even searched? Like when I was in the academy, we were volunteered to do a search for uh, remains. Somebody that was incarcerated, admitted to a murder and remembered where he hid the body. And we went to this little plot that he drew on a map and we had to search woods and Florida woods. So it's like brush. It's not even woods. And it was not a huge area and there were probably 20 of us and it still took us four days to get through it because they were, um, the case was so old. We were essentially looking for bones at the, at that point. Um, so we went through like a fine tooth comb and it took, it took four days of really hard work and um, people volunteer to do stuff like that. And it's just, it's amazing. So it is refreshing to hear that side of it being appreciated because more often than not, it's the opposite where they're being blamed for not having solved it quick enough for somebody's satisfaction because, you know, and some podcast kind of started sitting around not doing anything. <laughs> exactly go full kendra activate kendra angry mode now <laughs> well i brought it up because i'm after chris was arrested for the potato launcher he was he was released and i talked to you about this a little bit before the show this would be the point where some some people would be like why in the hell would you let him go if you knew he did this right it's a fair question if you don't know how the justice how it works 
it's actually it's a fair fair point um because at this point i if you're doing search warrants and all that like they suspect chris right like they know he he's likely the person that did something to aaron but they well, don't know I mean, what it is well yeah because they can't prove that she's even dead at this point really correct they don't have a body so like you like you just said they don't even know if she's dead they don't, they don't know if they even have a charge for murder because there's no body to even know if she's passed away so that's just something that you know if you're watching this and you're like why the hell would he get released if they knew he did it just something to think about you know yeah so at this point it's late july the law enforcement is hitting a wall like they really just can't figure it out right um they've they've now executed like five search warrants they've taken him into custody they've interviewed him they just they got the lead with the um, tracks and the text message with Aaron and her friend, but that's it. There's really nothing else to go on here. And at this point, it's been about a month since she's been missing and they're just, they're hitting a wall with this. One thing um, that luckily, is interesting. Though, oh my yeah. gosh. We're both about to, to get onto a point. Go ahead. You go first. go first. I've been talking a lot. No. Well, I'm just worried. I'm worried that we we skipped by something. But at one point, when Chris was going to go out there on uh, his coyote hunting trip or whatever he was planning, his alibi for being absent and also in the desert, he had asked somebody to go with him, and that person mm-hmm. could not could not go because they had had somebody staying over at their house, and you know you don't leave when you have company. But that person saw Chris uh, loading up to get ready to go, and I guess he had some stuff with him, including a propane tank and uh, guns and some other things. And he's mm-hmm. just like, you know, what are you going out there to do? And he, and he said, uh, well, there's all these cool mine shafts out there. And uh, I'm going to blow up this propane tank in a mine shaft, which sounds like fun, I guess. I mean, you know, it, to me, it just seems like a really bad idea because an explosion in a shaft is the same thing as what a gun is. So like, you're going to wily coyote yourself <laughs> looking at this uh, shaft with an explosion and all this flame is going to come out and get you. Just to me, that's what seems like what would happen. But maybe I'm underestimating the size of this mine shaft that I think that I am. But So we, <laughs> we, we do have someone who's interacting with Chris before his day trip out to the desert where he would meet up with Aaron and finding that he's carrying some suspicious items with him. And now on to Kendra's interesting point. These points kind of go together. So very good. Um, <laughs> you win. Yes. So luckily, uh, the woman that Chris and Nicole moved in with, Isabella, she remembers that about a week before um, Aaron went missing, which was June 24th of 2014, about a week before that, Chris was talking to her about how he's going to go on this coyote hunt that you were just talking about and he had gone out to scout i guess which is a little odd to me um because you're in the desert what are you scouting it's the coyotes are just gonna be out there i mean i don't know i've never hunted in a desert so i have no idea but um well the coyotes and- the coyotes are gonna be out there at night not during the day which is interesting sure sure um but Anyway, he comes back and he's telling Isabella about all this, how how excited he is that he's found all of these mine shafts that no one would ever find 
which is something specific that she said he told her. And she found it a little weird, but she kind of brushed it off because I get the impression that Chris is kind of a little bit of a odd dude anyway. It gives me like frat bro vibes, which nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying that that's they do some well, weird shit like that sometimes. <laughs> like he's a marine, know. so they probably have some of that frat frat mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Um like I said, nothing wrong with it. I just that's the impression that I get. So she probably didn't really think anything that weird of it. Um, like I said, he's not a bad guy. So why would you suspect that he's scouting murder sites? Um, <laughs> but he does tell her that he wants to shoot a, a propane tank in one of these mine shafts to like see what happens, apparently. And he asks her if if he can have a propane tank that she had, and she's like, Yeah, sure, whatever, fine. Which I don't anyway to me it's like keep your propane guys get some propane tanks not to be like a end of world doomsday prepper but like get some propane don't give it to your friends to shoot in mine chefs i like how kendra's um, big takeaway on this and especially in light <laughs> of me knowing how the case turns out guys get your own propane it's like the it's very important <laughs> I just remember reading that and I was like, who gives away like propane tanks for people to just shoot? I mean, I don't know. That struck yeah, me as odd. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just well, I, I mean, overthinking. Considering it. what he wants to use the propane tank for, it is quite odd. So, Yeah, it's a little strange. But anyway, <laughs> she remembers this and she tells law enforcement. Um. They kind of, because of this information, they kind of get like an idea of where to continue to look because they're coming to a point where it's almost two months. It's been weeks and search parties don't search forever, right? Because you have to, it's a lot of resources and you just end up wasting time if you're not finding something. There's other people that are missing and other places you could be using this resource, right? So they're coming to the end of their search efforts um, and this piece of information really helps them and they kind of, they go to an area out in Joshua Tree where there are a bunch of, of mine shafts, basically. And on the very last day, in like the last hour of their search efforts, uh, they put a camera on a rope and they drop it into this one mine shaft that was like 140 feet deep. And they do discover what appears to be a body at the bottom. So they recover this body along with a propane tank. And they do identify this body as Aaron Corwin through dental records. The ledge, now, where, she was, the ledge where she was found was 140 feet deep. The mine was actually closer to 250. And if she had not hit okay. the ledge, they would not have been able to recover her. I will say, I will point out though, that, that yeah, they were there, that it was the last day of the search that they found her. But I want you to think about this. If they had found her the day before, wouldn't that have also been the last day of the search? Really makes you think, doesn't it? You are right, John. I know. You are right. Yeah. But what I meant was that was the day they were going to be done. So if they didn't find her that day, they were going to stop. And they probably yeah, but never would have found her. Right. But if they'd found her the day before, they would have stopped too. So, Sure. Yes. <laughs> Can Everyone you imagine if they're like, we only have one. 
everyone thinks it's so damn remarkable that they found her on the last day but it's like it's like when you say like oh i found my keys in the last place you'd ever think to check well if you'd found them someplace else before that yeah okay well <laughs> moving on Can't i was trying to make like a cool suspenseful moment have, you just said she doesn't have any time for my stupid bullshit I'll edit this out. Just go ahead and uh, no. So, so I want everyone to see how terrible you are. Just kidding. Don't edit out your <laughs> terribleness. She was found 140 feet deep. She was. Um, <laughs> when they did the autopsy, um, they found. Well, when they pulled her up, they found that she had a garrote around her neck, and. Um, I don't know if you don't know what a garrot is. It's a, a weapon of sorts that's used to strangle people. And it's it, you can make it out of essentially anything. It's just two handles and some sort of cord or string or whatever to wrap around the person's neck. And you just pull on the handles until they stop. Until they die. <laughs> yeah. um, and that this that's is, essentially uh, how she died. These are these are pictures of them going down the mine shaft to uh, go down and get her. Uh, there's a picture of a Sprite bottle, which kind of figures into the story, sort of uh, ironically. When John proposed to her at the age of 19, she was not old enough to drink champagne, so he handed her a can of Sprite with a straw in it, and the ring was on the straw, and uh, so they toasted their their love with a can of Sprite, which is kind of sweet. And then when they Aww. found her body, they found a, a Sprite bottle next to her, too, so it was kind of... Uh, weirdly symbolic and kind of bookendish and uh very very yeah, sad. That's sad and this is Aaron, you know and she's uh she's young and she's beautiful and sweet and probably naive about life and she's carrying a child inside of her and uh this asshole chris said he would meet up with her out in the desert and she thought she was going to have a proposal for a new life possibly up in alaska that they were going to figure out all the stress of everything that was going on and he drove out there with a propane tank and a garrote, uh, knowing that he would place it around that throat that you see on the screen and pull it until she was dead and throw her in this pit. And you just really have to be a real fucking asshole to think that that's the way that you should handle this. You know, uh, be a man, deal with your mistakes. I know it's not easy, but how can you feel like murdering this person who, who has all this trust and feelings for you? uh who has her baby her your baby inside of her how can you feel like that's the answer um it's just sickening and i, I we, we we joke and we have a, a good time on this show but i guess aaron was a person and, and something terrible happened to her and i think we should just reflect on that yeah and um it it does sting a little bit more than normal when it's somebody so young because you know you and i are not that young we're not <laughs> we were our, given deaths, the... our deaths wouldn't even be a tragedy they'd just be like well they <laughs> died of being alive too long well you and i are, were granted the the luxury and the blessing to make mistakes as youth and live to learn from them and when someone yeah. that's that young dies um it's sad because they never get the opportunity to get older and to really like embrace life with these learned lessons and the, you know, you change and evolve as your life goes on. 
And I'm sure if Aaron was here today, she would regret her choices and yeah. she would have learned from them. And now she, she could be um, flourishing and having a good life with maybe John, maybe not, but she was never afforded that opportunity. And like you said, she was going out there with the trust with someone that she loved and was hopeful for a future. And it, it was, that was not what she got. Um, she was, unfortunately she was so badly decomposed by the time that they got to her that they could not really confirm if she was in fact pregnant. Um, I think she would know though. And I have no, there's no real reason for her to lie about that. So I'm just going to say she was. Well, I, um, I think for sure that she was pregnant. I think the, the aspect of them, I think with her, her gut and her uterus being so badly decomposed, the part of it that's bad is that you can't suss out DNA. So, you know, you can't find yeah. fetal DNA to see if John was the father after all. And all of this was for no reason. Uh, you know, if Christopher's trying to preserve his life with Nicole and his daughter, Liberty, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to, to have to put up with the products of his philandering ways. He doesn't want the consequences of his actions to the point where he's wanting to murder someone. You know, if that was the motive for him to, to do this to Aaron, just the, the cruelest irony of all would have been like if it had been John's child. I know it's, I feel for John in all throughout this. Um, he, he did not have a lot to say. He only spoke um, well of Aaron um, Chris's wife, on the other hand, was very nasty and had very horrible things to say about her friend who'd gone missing. And I understand that she was mad because she'd been betrayed by two people she really cared about in her life. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. And that, you know, that skews your perspective, especially when it's fresh and you're angry and you say things out of out of anger. But she was very you're nasty the entire time. Yeah, you're allowed to have your feelings. You know, that's fine. But uh, when someone's missing and people are out there looking for her and you're saying, you know, I don't care if we ever find her or they'll never find her or whatever. Or at one point, she, no made crime a, is what she, said. she made a remark, yeah, that the, there'll never be any prosecution because they can't find a body. Um, it makes you wonder what her involvement was that basically, you know, John confessed to Nicole that uh, he's gotten Aaron pregnant. And what everything's going to come out of that, obviously, a lot of shame for Nicole, possibly a destruction or a breakup of her family. Um, and who had it in their heart to set out to say Aaron should die for this? You know, uh, Christopher, obviously, terrible person for going through with it. But Nicole's remarks make it seem like, you know, she was possibly uh, involved in the decision making process of that, particularly when she says, you know, no body, no, no prosecution. It seems to me very, very, very well premeditated that the idea was is that Aaron travels out to the desert that she is garroted to death. Her body goes into a mine. And then after that, uh, the propane tank would be detonated. I presume not to burn anything in the mine, but to cause a structural collapse, you know, something that just can't be excavated and to the point where her yeah. body can literally just never practically ever be found. I believe that was the intent. And uh, uh, I, I think so too, um, because the propane tank was down in the pit and also they recovered um, casings, bullet casings, and they they matched the strike pattern on the back of the um, of the casing with a a gun that Chris owned. So that kind of sealed the deal, right? Um, 
Seems to me like you they, should have been smart enough to use Tannerite. Like Tannerite, something that's designed to explode when you shoot it. And you know, I'm not trying to help make a better criminal out there, but right. like, why was you, <laughs> the idea that you're going to shoot a propane tank? And if I don't think it'll even blow up if it's not an incendiary round. Like, I don't know. I'm not in the Marines. I'm not someone that likes to blow propane tanks. But I don't think shooting a propane tank would be enough to make it explode. Wouldn't it just cause like a sudden decompression of the tank? And that's it. I yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask because I I genuinely don't know. I would I would think that with I mean I don't yeah, I'm I mean, not sure. Have, I don't know if the, if have, the impact you, alone would make it. You have to hope for a, a spark of some kind. You have to hope that that right. when the bullet strikes the casing, that not only will it be punctured, but there'll also be a spark. And it's just like that seems like a lot to accomplish at 140 feet with even a rifle. You know, like how does he even know how to hit it? You know, I, I don't know. And it's dark it, down there, too. It's dark. Seems like a really ill-conceived plan. Um, something else I heard was is that uh, he had kind of rigged it to Molotov cocktail, that there was something where uh, there was some sort of improvised fuse, and then it didn't go off, and then he shot it. I don't know if, like, the shooting was actually just a plan B, a backup plan to make it go off. But not only that, but, again, a shaft that's 250 feet deep you have an explosion it's going to go in both directions i really think you're just going to cause flames to shoot out of a hole i don't think i don't think the concussive power of that will be enough to to cause and even if there is a concussive explosion like you're not a geologist you don't know how well that mine shaft has held up it might be impervious to i that, know to me it would make more sense yeah, if you went out if you went out there with a cement truck and just poured cement over it you know i don't know yeah, I don't think that um, I do believe that Nicole just based this is pure speculation. There's no proof of any of this. OK, but just based on her reaction and. To say there's no body, no crime, I I could see someone saying that if they really, truly believe that their husband was innocent, and didn't do anything and they felt like people were attacking their loved one. But what I think it was more based out of is. Because obviously she knew what he was doing. She knew that he was having this affair. She knows that he's not this innocent, wrongfully accused person, right? Um, there's pretty damning circumstantial evidence up until this point where he's involved. Um, and I think that she said that because she felt personally attacked as well because she was worried about getting caught. And it reminds me of um, Chris Watts's girlfriend, everyone believed that he acted alone, which he did. I mean, he carried the murders out alone, but i it's coming out more and more now that there was a lot more influence on his girlfriend's end than what was initially um, reported. And she did a good job at keeping herself out of it, but she, I guess she encouraged him to. Um, and again, instead of just being a man and divorcing your wife and taking, um, taking the hits and the responsibility of breaking up your family and just moving on, he murdered them. Anyway, that's a completely different case. and <laughs> But this is similar to that, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. my so opinion, he's, apprehended, he's lot, so. apprehended in Alaska. Did we already cover the part where he's he apprehended? No. Um, it, he, when they realized that the firearm, the, the firing pin strikes matched from the casing to his, his firearm, um, they, they alerted, I think it was Anchorage is where he was at. And they went and arrested him. And when they did arrest him, he had another homemade garrot in his vehicle. So he's making these 
garrots. Like this dude is weird, right? I, I don't really know what he's got going on. Um, he was arrested and he admitted to the murder of Aaron Corwin. One of the reasons he gave, well, the reason that he gave um, is that Aaron was allegedly um, molesting their daughter while she was babysitting. And Chris's story is that he confronted her about it essentially. And it, and she admitted to it and it pissed him off and he went to, he flew into a rage and killed her and he never meant to, and it wasn't, you know, um, intentional or planned. And you said this earlier and I agree with you. I think he was just trying to get out of a first degree charge. Yeah. If he could say that it was a heat of, if he could say it was a heat of the moment thing, you, you go from premeditated, you go down to second degree murder, which means, you know, you're, you're not no longer looking at life in prison. Uh, but possibly right. 20 years if he could get it if he could really get jury sympathy he'd go down to maybe some sort of some sort of degree of manslaughter which would really make his term you know 10 years or less um what's really disgusting about it is the details were that you know he and nicole had been bathing the child liberty who i think is like six at this point and uh, they discovered you know that her body was irritated i guess i don't want to go too deeply into what that means but right. um and uh the idea was is that uh you know that he was gonna confront her about this so how does it make sense that you're having a relationship with a woman that you believe is molesting your daughter and you continue to allow her to babysit your daughter even though you think that aaron has uh been penetrating your little girl and it's just disgusting because aaron's not around to defend herself this is an audacious and terrible claim that hurts her family to even hear that he would further assassinate her character to try to save himself from the premeditated murder of Aaron by uh, trying to blame her is uh, pretty disgusting. And uh, to be honest, I know this is the cynic in me, but I think this is more, more of Nicole talking because the way Nicole was behaving during the trial, she was very not cooperative. Um, I think she was warned very often about her behavior. I think at one point when uh, this was brought up that, uh, you know, this they're trying to make this a, a heat of passion type thing. Prosecutors bring her into the judge's chamber and they're like, do you realize we have to put your daughter on the stand now? And she's just like, well, why? Uh, well, it's because you're making the claim that she's been sexually abused and it goes to the heart of the matter. So there's really no way we can ignore this. And uh, I don't think they realized that, you know, the potential trauma that they would be causing the little girl. And the prosecutor wisely decided to never examine the child uh, on the stand in terms of asking her questions about, you know, did Aaron ever hurt you? Because that would certainly traumatize the child and uh, just make a mess out of the case. I think I think the prosecutor trusted the jury to see through that as an audacious lie uh, to try to get out of the situation he was in. So I think that shows you something about the character further of Chris and Nicole that they would exploit their own child and, and risk setting her up for incredible trauma and emotional damage on the stand to lie to get out of the situation. Yeah, I have a really big problem with, um, obviously I think anybody would have a really big problem with this, but when, and this happens often, when people who are on trial for a murder and they make up some dumbass, lame reason why 
and they make that reason the victim's fault or something bad that the victim did to make themselves appear more um, or appear less like cold-blooded, essentially. And I understand um, that humans have that. I'm sure he, maybe they concocted it, the the lie beforehand. But people panic, or they, you know, they just want to survive, or they're they're worried about themselves, so they'll just say anything, right, um, to get out of it. And when I say I understand, I don't mean that I condone it. I just mean like I get that that's the perspective they're coming from, and I they may not really grasp what exactly it is that they're saying. But one of the absolute most disgusting things to happen to anyone is any sort of child sexual assault. That it's the worst. It's the worst thing that you could do as a human, in my opinion, is yeah. attack a child that way, and to take something like that and place that onto a, another human who is not here to defend themselves. And it's obvious, well, it never say never, right? We don't know for sure, but I think we can deduce that it's a fucking lie and that Aaron never did that. And what a disgusting, why is your mind going to that? How does your mind conceive what, of that? Yeah. Why are you even involving, like you said, why are you even involving your child in this at all especially like that because liberty is now going to have to grow up and this happened in 2013 2014 so it's on the internet she's going to have to grow up and know that her parents tried to make up this lie she's already going to be traumatized knowing that her father is in prison for life for murdering someone and her mother is probably still talking crap about this victim like she's already gonna have to come to terms with the fact that her parents are terrible people um and now she's like what is that gonna do to her psyche because she was pretty young so the chances are if if it did happen maybe she wouldn't even remember it that's gotta be yeah and her parents were willing to put her through like you said the trauma of retelling it in front of a jury and i've been part of trials where they have hearing after hearing after hearing of whether or not they should put a child on the stand to speak about things like that. And nine times out of 10, the answer is no, because it is so traumatizing. It's not worth putting this child through this again. And they just usually don't do it. Yeah. They really, it, it has to really, really be a, a point of, you know, this has to happen in order for X, Y, Z. And when that does happen, and from my experience, the judges don't allow, um, media or camera in the courtroom it's just yeah. witnesses uh, so yes the fact that her parents were one evil enough to even implicate that in the first place and then two dumb enough to think that it wasn't going to come out um i lost all like even if nicole didn't have anything to do with this just that alone fuck you <laughs> you're yeah. a piece of shit you're a piece yeah. of shit mom and you're a bad person so. And and Chris too. Something else he had attempted before this character assassination is he wanted to appear in front of the jury, uh, wearing his uh, marine dress uniform, even though he's not Ew. a marine anymore. Not a marine anymore. He but he wanted he wanted to be able to wear his uniform to, to his trial to kind of get sympathy from the from the jury. So he's willing to Ew. exploit his uh, his service to his country as well. That's just something else that's fodder for him. So. He seems like a very immature child that just runs away from all responsibility. And 
I well, he can't understand. can't run away anymore. So he, he's in prison <laughs> now. Doing the rest. He's of in his prison. Life. He was he was convicted of, of the first degree murder of Aaron Corwin. Um, he's yeah. He was sentenced to uh, life without the possibility of parole. He appealed, tried to appeal in 2018, but it was denied outright, and they denied it based on um, the molesting allegations that they tried to throw at Aaron. So that's kind of like the ultimate, like, uh, no, <laughs> haha, yeah. your dumbass lie isn't going to make it again. Like you're trying to do it again. <laughs> yeah. What an idiot. So he yeah. is serving um, life. And now Aaron's family gets to live on with the repercussions of his actions because he's refusing to take any responsibility for it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, like you said, John will always wonder if she was pregnant and if it was his baby. That's got to be something really hard to to live with. Yeah. So I feel bad for John. Well, I feel bad for him, too. A real downer. <laughs> Everyone, uh, just go to bed. It's over. The show's over now. Go to bed on your ghost bed. Go to bed on your ghost bed. Go get some milk and cookies. Go uh, hug hug your children tight. Uh, call someone, text someone, tell them you love them. Life's nuts. Life's terrible. People are doing bad things to each other, but uh, take care of each other. Be nice to somebody today. Don't murder them. Throw them down a mine shaft. I hate that I even have to say that, but apparently there's people out there like Christopher, so there's probably at least one more. So, And don't give your propane away. Yeah, for fuck's sakes of everything, you know? <laughs> Sorry, folks. It's just hard to it's hard to pull out of that where you're you know you're talking about this terrible thing that happened. And you want to bid people good night on a true crime show that's also supposed to be a little bit comedic. We appreciate you watching True Crime Tuesday, Kendra and I appreciate it. Thank you for sticking around with us into 2024. We wish Kendra a very very happy birthday as she finally turns 30 years old. She's crossing the line there into old age, um, and I'll be turning 40 <laughs> later this year. So. You know, just not a whole lot to look forward to. But you can a look forward to a couple old fucks. You can look forward to more failure to stop this week. Tomorrow is Wednesday. It's uh, all the political news you need with uh, Dead Leg Media and Last Call of the Day. On Thursday, we're going to be talking about uh, the Cowboys beating the Redskins. I presume they did. Or no, that's still before. Yeah, no, that happened. Yes. <laughs> It's hard when I'm traveling through time on a podcast to know when exactly know. something has occurred, but it's definitely in the past. We'll be talking about how the NFL is shaping up with the playoffs. More controversy is every single week something stupid happens in the NFL that we're able to talk about and take a break from all the sad and depressing things. Friday, big case breakdown. Eric's going to be talking about some story from the Thin Blue Line. I don't know if it's the one from Utah or some other case. We've got one in the chamber ready to fire away at any time. Uh, on Sunday, you can get more conspiracies with... Uh, with Eric and Anthony. And then on Monday, hopefully this is the return of uncuffed the show uh, about comedy with two, two former police officers, Eric and Jade Rell. <laughs> and of course you can find us next week again here on true crime Tuesday. We appreciate everybody reaching out. If you uh, have an idea for a case, you can always reach out to and Kendra on Instagram or me difficult to look at pictures. Uh, thanks so much for those hanging out in the chats tonight. We appreciate you. We will talk to you soon. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, stay safe, stay calm, make good decisions. And uh, don't, don't give your propane away. Don't give your propane away. And hey, whatever, man. Whatever. 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 Man. whatever.
Whatever. Don't get yourself true crime. Or whatever. Or whatever, man. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>